0: Welcome to another edition of A Ten of Teaching, Take Back Teaching. We are very thrilled that you are with us today, and we're very excited to have a number of new guests and some of the panelists that we've had in the past as well. We have been talking in this series about the attack on teachers in terms of legislative uh, material that has passed in about 36 states now that uh, restricts the right of teachers to talk about various issues from racism to sexism to bias. And we are here today to continue that discussion uh, where we will talk today about mental health and what stress looks like for teachers who are uh, living through this situation right now in their state. So before we get started with our discussion, We'd like to have everyone just give a, uh, a little brief bio on who they are and what brings them here today. And uh, I thank you so much in advance. So we'll start with uh, Lori and um, then everybody else, please um, go around our gallery and introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I'm one of the founders of Attentive Teaching. I'm also a licensed mental health counselor. Um, I'm so happy that you're all here today. This is a very important talk.
2: Yeah, well,
1: I think just...
3: Oh, okay. Uh, My name is Carol Boat. I'm a retired social studies teacher, but I haven't retired in terms of my passion about education, so I'm very delighted to be part of Attentive Teaching.
0: Carol is on our board of Attentive Teaching
4: and Roxy.
3: Hi. Can
4: can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm Roxy Laurie. I'm a retired elementary school teacher, and I'm uh, also one of the founders of Attentive Teaching.
0: Jacob.
5: Hi, I'm Jacob Klein. I'm a psych student and childcare counselor and staff writer for Attentive Teaching.
0: Cordelia.
6: Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Cordelia Anthony. I am a science teacher at Farmingdale High School and the local president of the Farmingdale Federation of Teachers.
0: Thank you for being here. Perry. Good
6: morning, everyone.
7: My name is Perry Fuchs. I teach high school science on Long Island. I'm also the local president of our teachers union in the district I work for. Rick.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Rick Wilson. I am a a teacher at the Wheatley School in Old Westbury. Um, I teach English, theater, um, music. Um, and uh, what draws me here is all of the conversations uh, about bias uh, uh, in every level and just the restrictions that are going on to teachers. I'm at the end of my career, uh, probably like another year left, but I really hope that, um, that we can take back teaching. It'd make me feel very uh, much better leaving the profession, exiting a little bit from the trenches, so to speak, if I know that like uh, teachers are really up in arms.
0: Thank you, Rick. So great
8: to have you. Anita. Hi, I'm Anita Carson. I am a sixth grade science teacher at Lake Alfred Polytech Academy down in Florida. And I am here to talk about how this is impacting um, Florida. We've already had this legislation pass our legislature and be voted on and, or sorry, and signed by our governor. So we are already into the feeling of how this is impacting our classrooms. Um, And so I'm just here to talk about that and how that's impacting our teachers.
0: Thank you so much, Anita, for being here. And Diane.
9: Good morning. My name is Diane Sweet. I am a clinical social worker, full-time private practitioner. I also work uh, over at Cohen Children's Medical in their bereavement center. But of late, my interest has really been on the initially the promotion of mental health and addressing um, the schools and trying to break stigma, and I think we've done a great job with with that. But of late, I've been looking much more at the impact of disconnection and loneliness on our well-being and how that impacts, especially during these difficult times.
0: Thank you, Diane, so much for being here as well. Well, thank you, everybody. And uh, let's, let's, let's dive into this. So number of laws, as we said, are being passed in states, uh, parental rights bill uh, in Florida. And uh, maybe we can start with Anita, for you to explain to us uh, what is happening in Florida and a little bit about uh, what stress is looking like for teachers there.
8: Um, Sure, I'd be happy to. So the parental rights bill in Florida basically makes it illegal for a teacher to talk about anything that could make a child feel uncomfortable based on something that their predecessors or ancestors have done. That's part of it. Um, And then, so that's the woke or anti-woke legislation, as our governor has been calling it. Um, But we also have a law that is preventing us from talking about gender identity and sexuality in K through three. And then it says very vaguely that any other grade has to be age appropriate, but doesn't define what that is. And so deciding what that is um, can be tricky a bit. But one of the things that that we've found with a lot of our teachers is just the thought of one more thing that we have to think about or be worried about is pushing people out um, especially since the enforcement mechanism for these laws is not law enforcement it's parents are now allowed to sue individual teachers that's the enforcement mechanism and so we already have so right now in the state of florida we have 4,500 um, instructional openings And the Department of Education for Florida is looking for that to be somewhere around 9000 when we get to August, so they're looking at it to double it's the largest. um, amount of teachers, we don't have in the classroom and it is incredibly frustrating as a teacher to know that we've been begging for parents and Community people to be involved with schools for decades and now when they're getting involved they're getting involved with things that aren't happening in our schools they're talking about things like grooming children in k through three to be whatever it is they think is going to happen and they're worried about things that aren't happening instead of using that energy and power they do have to talk about not having instructors in your classrooms, not having qualified mental health professionals on our campuses. Um, When they passed, so Marjory Stoneman Douglas, the shooting that happened here in Florida, um, we had a significant push for social emotional learning to be um, codified in our laws. And that was Republican controlled legislator at that point too. And they passed laws requiring us to teach social and emotional learning. Um, But now if we teach about equity which is part of social emotional learning um we could be breaking a different law so i'm required to teach it but i'm not allowed to make anyone feel uncomfortable but when you learn to interact with people sometimes you're going to be uncomfortable because you're learning a new skill so putting teachers in this position of which law am i breaking today and how am i going to get in trouble a lot of people are just deciding to leave and it's incredibly toxic to the people who are left because now we not only have our job but we have to pick up any slack that's happening so you have split classrooms where okay i had planned for my 20 kids but now i have 10 kids from miss smith's class because she quit well i can't teach 30 kids and these kids are only going to be with me for two days and then they'll be with somebody else for two days they're not getting the instruction they need or deserve Um, and i see zero parent outrage about that I see zero community outreach about that. And i the only people I see talking about it are people in education. And so that that for me is incredibly frustrating Is we're passing all of this legislation that is pushing people out, which always impacts and harms our kids. So that is that's where I see the biggest issue right now for Florida.
0: Wow. Does anybody want to uh, comment on that? I certainly have. Some questions for
3: Anita. Um, Yeah, Carol. Have have there been any suits filed as of now,
8: but you know by parents against individual teachers and if so, what's happened. Um, Not yet, because this legislation so our legislative session just finished at the beginning of April. and then they came back for special sessions where they wanted to punish disney that's a totally different conversation um but our governor has signed it but it doesn't take effect until july 1st um so that it hasn't taken effect but because as teachers we've known that it's going through the legislature it's all over the news everywhere um, you already have parents that are trying to complain to admin or complain to the district about what we're doing, because they now feel like they have every right to say exactly what happens in your classroom, because they've been told that over and over by our governor and our legislatures. And so we're already feeling the pressure, even though the law doesn't actually take take effect until July 1st.
0: How, how is this, if I might ask, Anita, and then anyone, I want to hear if other teachers, are, because Albany already has um, legislation that is now uh, being proposed uh, in, in New York State. We are, most of us here in New York State. So the legislation is being proposed. Nothing's been voted on yet, but there are 36 states that have this restrictive legislation on what you can and cannot teach in terms of racism and bias and, and such. Um, my question to you, Anita, is, and then others, please chime in if if you're concerned about your own classrooms. Um, have you changed how you teach because of this? Because we're, we're talking today about the effect
8: on teachers and the, the stress level. Have you changed type teacher or? or um, how I you? haven't, but I'm probably not the right, the right person to look at for that. I stopped worrying about whether or not they were gonna fire me several years ago um, <laughs> because science teachers don't grow on trees. And we currently, so the school that I'm teaching at right now, we have had an open science position with kids who do not have a full-time instructor since October. Um, So if I'm doing something that you don't like that is in my classroom, but I'm doing what I feel is best for kids, are are you going to replace me with a long-term sub? Because we don't have those either. You're going to have part-time people the rest of the class so i'm probably not the best case i haven't i haven't changed a lot of what i do um i still talk about the diverse groups of people that have contributed to science which is part of something that might make kids uncomfortable because when we talk about cell theory and who are the named people who came up with cell theory um they are all white men and if i say that in my classroom and we talk about why that is My goal is not to make anyone uncomfortable, but they might be uncomfortable, but it's still important for them to understand why these scientific advancements consistently look like they came from white men when you can look at work that was stolen or work that couldn't be published by women or by people of color. um, And we talk about that in class. I so far haven't had any parents that have had issues with that, but I think it's partly because my kids don't really go home and talk to their parents about their school day, which is true for a lot of kids, um, but especially for teachers. So in Florida in 2011, they got rid of something called continuing contract. So I'm, we are already um, a single contract per year. They can get rid of me at the end of the year, anytime they'd like. I don't have a continuing contract. Um, For a lot of teachers that don't have a continuing contract they're getting a lot more quiet about equity about diversity, because even just those two words which should be something that anyone can agree, we need to be teaching our kids these are important concepts. um, are seen as divisive and equity and diversity should never be seen as divisive Um, but it's it's disheartening and a lot of younger teachers, a lot of newer um, service teachers are very worried about talking. And then you have older teachers that are close to retirement that don't wanna lose that. Um, and so they're they're getting quieter about things that we used to just take for granted that we could talk about because it's what's best for our kids. Anybody
0: um, experiencing this themselves, uh... In, in in our area, anybody concerned about thinking about what think their are teaching these have days? A have, have a anybody little have at it.
2: Have at it, Rick. What's oh, going on? I'm there for you. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as um, boy, there's so much that Anita has said that I could easily respond to, and, and is just it's it's just insidious uh, what what a teacher is being made to feel there in Florida, and the sorts of um, uh, the the tightrope walking. Uh, of the choices that, that they've got to be making, not knowing if they'll be fired, not knowing if they'll be written up, not knowing if they'll have a job at the, uh, at the end of the year. Um, I can talk forever about the, uh, the importance of having a gay role model at the front of the classroom. I can talk forever about just the mentioning of, uh, of, of certain cultural biases that do make people both uncomfortable, but also very aware that these are just issues that are out in our world today what what this whole pushback though um, really smacks of to me it really is it's it's it uh, the words already been used by anita it's it's intentional divisive politics, um, it, it is um, because as she's like saying it's, it's it, there's no pushback from the parents there's no. Um, I think that the problem is that you have politicians who are latching to these issues, realizing that these this is the sort of base that they can drum up in order to actually take power. There is no, you know, um, I prior to this, I was not reading any um, uh, scandalous things that were happening in the state of Florida um, where third graders were reading about gay penguins or anything like that. So to me, it really smacks of this type of thing that I remember very much hate to get really political, but I will. Um, in the George Bush years, when the framing of, well, that Co- Karl Rove was so brilliant in, in what he did in asking, um, well, in creating a, um, an attack by saying that the institution of marriage was under attack. We, we were at war at the time. Nobody was like out there in a big way, even politically, trying to push for same-sex marriage at the time. But what that ended up doing is by the next election, there were 11 states that went um, that, that put same sex marriage on their dockets, which meant that everybody came out voting in droves that year. They had like record turnout in 11 states that did end up passing that legislation. So, if we do look at it, um, and as uh, has already been kind of mentioned here, as a kind of like bellwether for things to come, we can look to the past and see that this legislation will continue to go forward. Um, uh, unless we can really have a huge pushback the other direction, and sort of thwart this like sort of like um, divisive campaign, because um, uh, as, as Anita said, who can't get behind equity? Um, I mean, it's it's the golden rule. It's the basic it's the basic building block of the kindergartner coming to school. Is it that it is that is the exact one. As a high school teacher, I'll also um, I'd like to like uh, just mention that I don't think I've done my job if I haven't made a kid uncomfortable at some point. And I don't mean that I don't mean that that they're supposed to be feeling uncomfortable about their body, about uh, things like that. But if I haven't challenged the way that they think. Um, And in many ways, if I haven't challenged it, and if they haven't come to their own sort of like philosophy, you know, by the end of it, I'm really skirting my job, and I'm not doing it. So it's like, um, and I really, really applaud uh, teachers like Anita, who are really under the gun right now, uh, because I... I don't know, I've sort of been able to sort of, um, I don't know, protect myself in a number of ways. And maybe I'm still here in New York, but even with legislation, you know, uh, 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 pending here, who knows how far this could actually go. But I'm, my hat is off to uh, teachers who are really already feeling these huge, huge uh, restrictions. But please know you are not alone. And please, please uh, shout from the rooftops because you need every teacher in the country getting behind this.
7: There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. There's there's a lot. Um, I just want to jump in with a few comments. Um, Agree 100% that they're using this as a wedge issue. I've said this before on, on these, on these meetings that um, the Republicans are using these, these tactics to split communities. Um, And, and I've seen it in my own, my own union where You know, people who have gotten along for years, all of a sudden, we're yelling and screaming at each other. And um, so it is certainly working. I think uh, the conservatives in this country have um, played a long game. In other words, uh, this this has been a strategy of theirs for a very long time, and they've been very good at implementing it over the course, I I mean, I would say even going back all the way to Reagan, maybe even Nixon, and this has been a, a long, long game strategy um, to take power. This is all about power. This is um, uh, not about education at all. This is about the conservative movement making education right, divide and conquer. What they want to see, they don't really want an educated society. Um, it's just about them grabbing power and keeping power. And that's and that's really all that it comes boils down to. Um, and then I just wanna quickly comment on the, on the idea of um, making children uncomfortable. That I agree with Rick hundred percent. I think even more so it should happen at the younger levels too, not just at the high school level where kids question the beliefs that they're hearing at home because let's be honest, some of the craziest stuff that they're hearing is coming from their parents. And a lot of these parents just want their kids to be an echo chamber of their beliefs. They don't actually want their kids forming their own opinions and forming um, uh, uh, their own ideas about society. I mean, I've experienced in my own life, my parents are very conservative and they're devastated that I did not turn out that way. And that's okay. And it's okay for parents of liberals to have conservative kids, but it's we're doing them a disservice when we simply educate them and don't challenge what they believe, or really because the truth is even younger kids, they don't believe anything. They simply believe what their parents tell them at home. So this is what the conservative right is trying to uh, keep going and, and it's okay to be, um, to be critical of, of, of what you're hearing at home. It's okay to be uncomfortable in education, you should be. And I'll leave you with one thought. I was just reading something, an article over the last um, on Facebook, of course, over the last couple of days um, about the education in Germany and how they educate. It's a requirement to learn about the Holocaust. Now you got to think that some of their grandparents at this point were Nazis, and think about what that says about the German people that they want their kids to be uncomfortable they should be uncomfortable with the atrocities that were committed, right? So why is it that in this country, where we also had some major atrocities, again, not against the Jews, but against minorities, against Blacks and, uh, and Hispanics, um, why is that not okay to teach here, but yet in other countries, it's literally a requirement of their curriculum, so.
5: I also want to say on that, it's also such a... Bipartisan issue as well, even though it's like, yeah, the conservatives are the ones pushing a lot of the more identity politics stuff. Uh, The privatization of education happened under Clinton. It happened under Obama. Um, They just dumped subsidies into it, and you can't teach equity or, or expect equity be equity to be taught if you're also like creating a market for education. And then cementing uh, housing prices and segregation, basically that was created like decades ago. And then just you know m- using the ed- education system as a cudgel, so that people be like, oh well, if these things are going on, uh, that means that my housing prices are going to go down. And so that you know hits people, you know, and that hits white liberals too and they don't like talking about how you know a lot of private institutions are the issue and they might be like a well-meaning private institution but they exist for only the wealthy and so you know it's uh, this complicity and like yeah all right well we don't want the we're here for all the you know diverse teaching of schools and we want you know gay teachers to be able to offhandedly mention they're gay because that's what it is It's like they're not getting there. These hedge cases aren't happening. It's uh, like I had a gay English teacher. If he mentioned that he like had a husband once, that would be a lawsuit in Florida. Right. And so, yeah, like the conservatives are the ones fear mongering and then dumping money in astroturfing um and then you know having these other you know organizations rile up parents to actually show up in school board meetings and then those spread out on social media the liberals the whole time are just like sitting like okay all right about to get my next subsidy you know gonna open up in this new area oh man the the public school went out oh no, we'll have to pop up an institution over there to replace them and hire them and then do exactly what Anita's talking about, where you don't have a teacher's union, you have contract labor. And then, okay, oh no, the teachers can't be paid enough, uh, so we have to write special legislation so that, okay, in rich institutions, they get more they get like teacher stipends or whatever and that those again are all based upon cemented segregation for generations and so it's really important to emphasize that there really are no like political figures right now that are talking about full equity in education and that this is important for people to that you need to be the one going into your school board meeting and realize that you can't just be like oh i'll elect the democrat and they like will protect the gays and i'm a good parent it's like no that's that's not politics that's not caring about it do you is that what that religious parent is, that you know is you know so scared of their evangelical child you know learning about the existence of a gay student like that's not what they're doing they're they're going into that school board meeting and then bringing up Matthew 18. I'm sorry. I don't know the Bible, but <laughs> yeah, I, you know, oh, can you hear me? No, I'm muted. I'm, uh,
4: can you hear me?
8: Yes. We can okay.
4: Hear you. okay. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you, Jake. <laughs> I really do. Um, but I think that that's the, the whole point is that I don't think we can even try to change the the people the, you know the, the people on the right anymore. I don't I don't even think there's a, a possibility of of trying to to change them. If you try to you have try to have a conversation with someone on that side. They've got all the information. They've got got on some wacko um, you know program from from the internet, and they listen to it over and over and over again, and they're, they're c- completely brainwashed. So. There's, there's almost, I mean, that's something we've touched upon in the, pa- in the past meetings as well, is the internet is, is just killing this stuff, just absolutely killing this stuff. But that being said, I think those are the, the, the parents on the left are the parents that have to start to realize, um, that it's just gone too far. Yeah, we've always had that. And yeah, they've always been sitting back and worrying about their, you know, uh, my, is my property going to go down if if I allow, you know, busing into my community, if I allow this and that. I, I absolutely agree with it. Those are the people that have to be, have to be touched. Um, and, um, I was I, I listening to Randy Weingarten last night. I don't know if anybody saw saw on yeah, w- uh, 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 NBC. What, what was she on? Uh, whatever. Yeah, and um, uh, and and she she like laid this out that it is there is hatred out there, hatred to the public school. I mean, she that those are the words she's using, and um, you know that they just keep sewing, uh, you know, the, these untruths over and over again. So. Um and and I also, going back to to what you know everybody was saying about um, you know, all these laws being put in effect uh, for critical race theory, I was reading this week, you know my 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 heart was in my throat because now there are some uh, places like in Minnesota where they're they're literally attacking SEL programs. i'm I'm sure some of you seen, I mean where they want them out. They don't want kids being taught respect and honesty and compassion and empathy. you know these are not good things to teach children. you know if I were have you know as a retired teacher, if I had to be if I was teaching today, I would have to like take my whole curriculum and, and throw it out the door. I wouldn't be able to do anything that I that I did before. So Anita, I really I feel for you.
8: it's it's just it's awful anyway if I can, for just a second, oh, sorry, Cordelia. Um, what Jacob was saying about the privatization and then removing that union piece, has been really big here in Florida. Um, I'm the membership chair for our local, and I'm very involved in FEA, which is Florida Education Association. And we have had to be very, very specific about being bipartisan as much as we can because it's the only way to work with legislators at all. Um, But because all of these parental rights bills and woke act bills and craziness also came at the same time that the legislature was doing anti-union bills and was doing specifically just teachers' unions, because our teacher union here in Florida is the largest and likely most powerful union we have in the state that's fighting against what some of the things are happening, Um, we have been singled out and attacked specifically in legislature, so um, we have to have 50% plus one in all of our locals to maintain our um, certification as, as unions, and that's only for teachers unions, that's not for all public unions, we have to maintain Um, And they're trying to do that for our our paras and our ESPs as well, and those are typically lower um, density as far as union because they're so low paid. And then they were also trying to make it so that they can't deduct union dues from our check itself, like people would have to send in a check to their union, which would then decrease union membership again. And we had like 10 different bills that we're trying to go through that were specifically attacking the teachers union in Florida. And then on top of that, we also had all of these education specific bills. And so as a as a union, which ones do we fight? Which ones can we put our, our might behind? And it needs to be all of them, but because they know that we don't have the capacity to fight everything, we end up fighting the ones that let us survive to the next year. But that means the ones that are impacting our kids and teachers the most in their actual classrooms um, get through and so it's very very purposeful they are passing and i think of as perry that said this is this is a power play this is a way to get more power and if you decentralize um teacher power and you get rid of unions or lessen the power of unions you can more quickly pass other legislation that you want to get through so i'm gonna let cordelia talk but that's definitely hand in hand here in florida no, the uh you and Perry have said it all enric everyone thank on jacob thank
6: you for what you said before um we're we're seeing a situation where we're just um i i don't even want to say we're allowing but we're watching the sowing of distrust against educators, the education system, and and it's becoming dangerous in certain places. We know, you know, here in New York, we don't have those laws yet, but all over the country, there's this idea that, you know, let's put cameras in the classroom. We'll see what they're doing. We'll see how they're, you know, educating our kids. Let's, you know, show me your whole year's lesson up front in the beginning of the year, you know, plan for- I don't even understand these places that are passing these laws, but plan for the whole year. And I want this transparency. You're not going to, you know, make my kid be, feel bad they're white or, you know, t- turn my kid gay. We're, we're looking at a situation where they don't want to have to pay for private school. They, they, they want privatization of the public school. They want to shape the public school narrative into whatever it is they feel. Um, whatever it is that they want their kid to learn at home, like Perry said, whatever um, belief they want their child to have. I am a person who went to private school K through 12, because I think I had your parents, Perry. Um, They put me in a religious school from K through 12, and I told them they paid for my college those years, and so then I had to pay for college, right? So basically, they wanted a certain way to shape me. I don't think I turned out exactly that way either, Perry. But, you know, there's things that you uh, people tell you you put into a child at a certain age and they'll always be that way, right? But the, the fact is, I, that's not true. And secondly, if you hear things different or contrary to what you have been taught at home, you challenge it right as rick said you should have the opportunity to be challenged and say you know what that that's not what i personally believe okay fine and you might actually sharpen them more to agree with their parents who knows but what we're really seeing is that this the way to get school choice the way to get you know um uh not having to pay for the private school you want your child to go in is to turn the public school that way. And it's so many different attacks, as Anita said, coming at the same time, whether it's trying to redistrict so that certain political uh, offices won't be there or will disappear so people can not elect who they want. It's a huge, uh, what did you call it, very long game. There's so many different attacks coming at the same time, but underlying it all is this idea Yes, Anita. This this idea that I'm I want what I want. I don't have I don't want to pay for it, so I'm going to use all of these uh, tactics. Um, so distrust in teachers. Teachers used to be you know super respected. May not have been paid that way, but just respected. You respected your teacher, right? Um, but now it's like yeah, no. Don't trust your teacher. Don't believe what your teacher says. You know what we say is right. Your teacher is wrong. Your school is wrong. And I just see a situation where we're just creating in the schools now. We're seeing kids being very disrespectful and, you know, post-COVID behaviors and all of the things and Diane SEL and whatever's going on. But if you're being told at home that who's your teacher, your teacher's not important, don't, don't, don't respect your teacher, then why would you not flip off your teacher in a hallway if they ask you for a pass? Why would you? We're, we're creating something that then we can't control.
7: Uh, I just want to quickly go back to what Jacob said because I do I I do agree with him about the politics. Um, let's be honest, Obama, a, amazing president, he was not a friend to education, to public education. Arne Duncan was terrible. Um, obviously not as bad as Betsy DeVos, but she was he was he was not a friend to education. Uh, what's his name was not a, the the previous governor uh, Cuomo was not a friend a Democrat not a friend to education at all in New York State. Um, but what I was kind of saying is that, and, and you're 100% right as far as this is all not just about power, this is about money. There's a lot of money in public education, trillions, not billions, I'm talking trillions of dollars that private corporations want. And if you can get rid of the teachers union, if you get rid of teachers, you can get all the money because as it goes in education, the employees are making 75% of, of the money collected by the district. And, and the funding from the government. So get rid of the teachers union, hire teachers at a fraction of the cost and pocket the difference. I've been telling that story in my district and my district only has a $100 million budget. And I tell people all the time, look in one small district on Long Island out of 125 districts, if you can get rid of the teachers union and, and pay them one third less, you've just made $50 million. And this is one district, okay? There's a lot, a lot of money here and although I would, I would, I, I'm only going to disagree with Jacob on one point. I do believe, though, that and, and if I'm getting it wrong, Jacob, please let me know. But overall, the liberal in the country, the far left, are been very supportive of public education, whereas you know some Republicans are the relatively centrist. But the far right is the one driving this this uh, machine. I mean that, at least in my opinion, that's how I see it.
5: No, absolutely. I, I would say, like, if you have a, you know, and if an, if there is an, an ideological, like, plan, right, I think what the issue is, is that, like, people that might be liberal, left-meaning, whatever, they just don't have a plan, they're just like, oh, yeah, no, I put my kid in that institution, I'm a great parent, and so, like, yeah, and I'm sure that, like, they're, the, the, ethos is there, but there's not like an articulated, like what I want. It's, I'll admit, like, it's hard to come up with something new and important that is, that is, that speaks to now, that doesn't, that isn't just like a revival of something that, you know, has not existed. And so like, you know, it's easy for, you know, uh, a, a conservative kind of to just be like, oh yeah, that religious institution that's existed for millennia, I want a copy of that. And then they'll like learn like enough science that it doesn't make me uncomfortable and then they can do a, a, a job. And so, yeah, no, I would. But it's it's not that the, the ethos isn't there. It's that there's no coherent plan as to what they want.
1: Diane, did you want to have you wanted to have a go at it?
9: Yeah, I want to get that hand off there. <laughs> um, in some way, I'm just listening to everything you're talking about. And I'm, I'm thinking about this larger connection, just a couple of things that have been mentioned. Um, one is this idea of feeling uncomfortable. And I, I was so glad to hear that on, on many levels, because as a mental health professional, someone who is more committed to trying to build resiliency, Right. In individuals, we know that the only way we do that is by taking people out of a comfort zone. It, by 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 really pushing them to have to challenge their own thoughts. You know, basic cognitive therapy is I have to challenge my thought. I think I'm a loser. Well, am I a loser? Right. So I in hearing all of you talk about this, I'm coming back to just this focus that I have had of late, the impact of feeling disconnected. And someone in the group earlier talked about intentional divisive politics. I'm sorry, I don't know who said that, but that in effect is the goal. Was it you, Rick? Yeah, you know, I I do believe that in many ways, this is a goal. This has been building up pre-COVID um, COVID has just sort of lit the match that has, 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 has sort of made this erupt. But if we think about the impact of being disconnected and of being lonely and being in our own pods of divisiveness, really the great um, emotional reaction you promote is a sense of threat. So I begin to feel threatened Therefore, I go into my fight, flight, or freeze response. And once I do that, so many of my abilities to function well are limited. So forget all the executive functions, which you know about, but our ability to, I think the most important one is to connect. How do I connect with other people who maybe think differently and we need to have dialogue with? So how do we connect? How do we form attachments? Um, What happens to the whole spirit of innovation, productivity, flexibility, all of that is so severely compromised. And from a therapeutic standpoint, what we're often talking about for people is how do we expand this resiliency zone? It's called by a lot of names, my okay zone, my resiliency zone, my window of tolerance. I mean, there are a lot of names. I don't care what it's called, it's how do we expand that ability to function well in the world, no matter what comes our way, right, doesn't mean I'm not going to be unhappy, it's not, doesn't mean I'm not going to be frustrated, or sad, depressed, or anxious, but how do I live in that world, and, and just what I'm hearing from everyone is, um, you know, this sense of, What do we do? It's almost the powerlessness that comes because what can we do? How do we fight the system? And I don't know people familiar with, I I know a bit of history was mentioned, I'm an English major and a history major. And Hannah Arendt who wrote a lot of books post um, the second world war and really looking at totalitarianism. And she says that disconnection and loneliness is really the underlying condition for totalitarianism. And that's really what we're seeing, this authoritative kind of response to life. I don't know how to think. I don't know how to manage my emotions. I am feeling disconnected and alone and under threat. So I'm in fight or flight mode. So somebody come along and tell me what to do. Um, and, And unfortunately, that's what I'm seeing. Um, and I don't know if this is the place for it, but I'm going to say, I really am a, b- a believer we have to fight this, that, that a few of you said that, that we are really at a critical juncture. So uh, let me just tell you, I, I am a raised Irish Catholic, an Irish Catholic. Many of my peers say to me, I cannot believe, you are still a church given your position on women, on the LGBTQ issues, on inclusion. And I say, if I leave, they win. Like I am a real believer in this. So I believe in basic principles of, 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 of the gospel, loving my neighbor, being responsible for those who are less fortunate. I believe that, but if I walk out of my system then basically I've said, it's yours, you get it. And I just don't think I can do that. And I think about this for all of you, you know, you, your function in society is so essential and this, this bullshit that is going on, where we are trying to blame teachers and 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 go at attacking critical race theory and and imploding these "don't say gay" and all this nonsense. If if we do not speak up on that, we are going to create a society that looks a hundred times worse than this. Um, so I, I'm not. Look, it's very hard to do that it's very hard to be vocal it's very hard to be a present, but we have to be the ones we are uncomfortable. So it is okay to make people uncomfortable discomfort promotes change.
5: Diane, I really want to speak to something that you said earlier uh, about the totalitarianism and the isolation of people and I want to emphasize how our day-to-day lives and just like how we interact with others has become over just my lifetime alone. So transactionalized, like, oh, like every single relationship has to be something on a resume, something that is valuable to you. If it is not a relationship that will get you farther in life, then you're not excelling to your parents or something like that. Um, and so when, pe- when you have a generation of people put under that pressure, you know, where, where are they going to go but something that is free and that is by their side constantly, aka their social media, aka whatever kind of constructed, you know, comfortable place that they can have when they're alone. When, when you're day to day, when you're walking around every day and every single, like, interaction you're having you're putting on a face to get to in the long term get something out of another person whether that be your job whether that be some free a free time internship whether that be like a managerial position you want to get further you know all these things and what you know you know people are left to that that isolation and then people you have in these institutions astroturfing all those where with where you know you get bombarded with ads that you know that have read your mind because they read your activity they 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 read your all your activity that you're doing on your phone and any kind of real personal outlet you're doing on your phone because you can't do it out there So this, this isolation is self-perpetuating and it creates the, it's why, it's exactly why Roxy, you know, it feels like we're just talking past each other constantly. And I think that, you know, even like when I am getting back from a long night in the city um, with my significant other and I'm on the train and there's a couple like old, older boomery guys next to me, I'm not, telling them that, you know, I was just seeing my significant other yada, yada, yada. I rant to them about the the corruption that I know that they see, right? And I think that you need to, all this needs to really speak to, you know, not only do you have to Socratically question with an open mind, but you also have to work from the assumptions that they hold in their hearts and work them to at least a more moderate point. And that's, you're not going to win. There will never be an argument where you just say something you know at another person and they'll just take that in. That's not how teaching is, right? Like, you know, we don't don't have a one day lesson. You know, you have a week long, month long, you have a whole semester. And so these are relationships that need to be rebuilt. And that's difficult when, again, it's transactional on every level. And so people need to learn to like, give a little bit and to like put their own ego down and know that yeah that guy might have like disgusting views but we got to bring him along the train so just nudge him a little just nudge him a
9: little I, I agree
1: Rick, did you want to say something
2: yeah yeah i'd like to respond to several of them there because i feel like there's a, a thread that's coming together for me um it, it, it sort of, is, um, I want to back up to something that Jacob said just a little while ago, which was um, specifically, um, you know, it's, it, it's sometimes difficult to hear, but I think it's important to hear, um, uh, like what he said about liberals. I certainly myself, like, um, uh, put myself in that zone. But I do think that um, it's easy for liberals sometimes to think that we're just in the flow of the cause rather than really making change. You know, um, and I think that it's it's a very difficult place to be in because it's exactly sort of what Diane is talking about in not wanting to walk away from her church either, because then says that you know then they win. Um, uh, and yet the other part of it is like, how do you find a way to do what like Jacob is saying to engage to like, I'll call myself a boomer, but not in the way that he's referring to it. But I'll say that um, uh, that how do you begin to engage people without in, in this place we are now where we can really barely talk to each other. We are that polarized um, to be able to find any common ground. That would you know ultimately kind of make it all right because i mean you know i mean like like saying things that like what cordelia was saying you know um and i i myself find that um uh, for the last few years you know really since like george floyd happened that particular issue for me um came to came to the front of my classroom in a way that i never really seen it or known it or owned it quite frankly um uh, here i because i'm able to like ride along in what i'm sure like a lot of people even call my my white male privilege it's a white male gay male privilege which knocks me down i assure you um, uh, but it there's there's something uh about our comfort levels that we can get into without challenging ourselves what I, what I have found has been really helpful to me, just kind of like probably in my career, it's, it's, um, it's always trying to become more authentically me um, in both what I do in, as a person and what I do as a teacher. Um, and I do find that in like um, a lot of reading that I've done the last couple of years um, uh, 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 has to do with like the finding the exact words that are really, really helpful, that may still make somebody uncomfortable. You know, um, I'm no longer afraid to say things like, um, and then, you know, uh, uh, the Native Americans were slaughtered by white Europeans. You know, it's like, and that's a very uncomfortable way for some people to hear that. However, it's also fact. You know, um, and as soon as I really begin to examine my own language, um, I can easily find the ways that I have been indoctrinated myself. And I do think that ideology is a very difficult thing to get at in the society and in the way that we all have been indoctrinated. You know, I mean, Diane's not wanting to leave the church and literally, God bless you. It's like I I left a long time ago because it was just too... uh, it was it was too antithetical to my authentic living um, but but I I do think that one thing that we can continue to do always is to continue to try to find the joy at the wherever we are in our lives um, and to be speaking authentically and um, I don't even say we have to necessarily challenge but you know um, but through the, the language of it you know to even say it's like oh do you mean when the you know when the Native Americans were slaughtered by the people who took over the country, you know, and 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 our ancestors, I'm sorry, I I I owe for that in some way I owe for that on my my grandmother's side, um, centuries back they were here in 1740, you know it's like now they were coming to escape religious pre- persecution themselves, and then my own like you know um, weird, I don't know. Um, um uh, my own weird history definitely puts that that I had one part of my family that was fighting against the other part of the family in the Civil War. So as I say, it's insane what my own family has gone through. But I mean, there were definitely plantation owners back there, you know, and and I, it's difficult to just say, I shouldn't feel bad about that, really? I shouldn't feel bad about the mistreatment of human beings by somebody that I was related to. Come on. You know, it's like, it, it can make me a better person by looking that in the face, you know, and, and it can make me a, a, a true teacher of equity to, uh, to enter into the discomfort zone myself.
1: Uh, I just want to say one thing, one second, Carol. I just want to say one thing about what you guys are talking about. It's so important what you're saying. Um, I wanna speak to the polarization that Rick was just talking about and Diane, what you were talking about, fight or flight, right, I mean, this polarization keeps us in that fight or flight mode. What we have to understand is that this is is the purpose. The purpose is to keep us occupado in this fight about these ridiculous things that are coming up so that we don't rally together and fight about what we really need to fight about. Okay, this is the idea that we do have to come together as a people, and we have to say, wait a second, no, this is absolutely not going to happen in this country. This is not what this country was built on. This is not what our founding fathers said we were trying to create. And this has to stop. And people have to stand up for that. And we can't get lost in the polarization, the fighting that keeps our brains you know, all messed up because we cannot use our cognitive abilities to think clearly because we're fighting with somebody about this nonsense that's going on like down in Florida. It keeps us it keeps us really focused on the wrong thing. We have to stay on the path. We have to come together. We have to make this a movement. And I've been saying this forever. We must make it a movement. We must come together. We must we must have a voice and start pushing it forward. And I don't know how we do that through marching or whatever, but creating, but that's what you know, with these conversations we hope to succeed in you know, hopefully creating and getting more and more people to jump on and let's, you know, let's start to make change, real change that's going to be healthy and wonderful for our country instead of taking away. I mean, who, who came up with these, these ideas to think about what they could do to hurt teachers and to hurt the children. This is ultimately going to hurt our children, our future generations. I mean, but I thank you guys for what you're talking about. And I think, um, I think Anita, you wanted to speak?
3: I wonder, I, I was going to say something similar. We, we've been talking about the success of what I believe is a vocal, very well organized minority. They're being, they are successful now and we have to be successful in response. And the stress that a lot of us are feeling, I think can be alleviated by action. And I think that's where we are now. We have to, either through the teachers unions or within our own communities, we have to start to act. And I think that they have been doing it quite well, this minority that has created this situation. And we have to start to do the same. And I think by doing that, we will eliminate some of our stress and maybe succeed.
2: You're saying
8: Anita. Anita. I was going to sort of jump off of what Rick said earlier about um, language, and I think that the the laws that are coming into Florida are just giving us more categories that we have to sort of curb our language and be cognizant about how careful we are with our words um and it's been insidious and it's been going on for a significant amount of time so your example of the slaughter of Native Americans um but so right now in Florida our state has um I think 60% of the math textbooks that were submitted to be used in classrooms are our state DOE is not allowing them to go through and part of that is because they're saying there's things. With critical race theory or even some of them were rejected because they have social emotional learning strategies in the math textbooks, and so they were rejected, um, but in our textbooks pre the new laws that have come out you have things where they say oh well workers were brought from africa we've already been curbing our words and making atrocities look nice to make people feel good like we've been doing that for years that that was happening when i was in school as a student um and i'm not i'm 35 now so it's not like that long ago um we've been doing this to make people feel more comfortable because with things that are difficult to um to wrap your head around or to to own up to and because of that people i guess are feeling like they should always be comforted and this is an extension of things that we've already been doing for a long time and so i liked what rick said about language and the use of language and how you talk about something is incredibly important and our our legislators here in florida are deciding how we talk about things and it is masking truth and that is pervasive and really really scary um they are requiring us effectively not to speak truth because of the way they're requiring us to talk now and that's i i just i liked the way that rick phrased that the language that you use to speak about something is incredibly important and that's now being legislated um which is fascist af so i'm just going to put that out there like it's it's awful
0: yeah i'm just going to come in and say so what we're all saying uh is that we're normalizing racism we're normalizing this behavior it's become normal um accepted uh and we have so much more that we need to talk about i was wondering before we close for today which i i i don't want to do but we know that uh, for mental health and emotional and physical health, we all need some of our day for ourselves <laughs> as well. But are there any last words that anyone would like to say before we close for today? Because so much has been discussed and there's still so much more to say. But again, the, the, the concept of normalizing this, this uh this behavior is what concerns us all deep in our souls. And that's why we're here. Rick, did you want to say a couple I of things? Diane or anyone else, please up. just I
1: think Dan- Diane had her hand up for a while. Oh,
0: sure. Diane, sure.
9: No, that's okay. You know, I, again, I just want to use a quote. I During the pandemic, I did a lot of reading on stoicism, which I found fascinating, in the stoic philosophers. And... And um, one of the exercises they they asked to do is to sort of take yourself out of your place, your little place, move yourself into your greater, your neighborhood, your environment, moving up a whole cosmic piece. And I just wanted to read if I could a real just quick ending because I I like to leave with a a period of hope. And so I just want to give this to you. And this was a quote by a, a professor Mark Rolkowski He said, we share in the world's order and divinity. It is humbling to look at the world from the cosmic point of view. Even the most powerful people and all of our cherished accomplishments seem trivial from this perspective. But this can also be a source of relief, especially during hard times. And it is always a healthy reality check because it reminds us that we are making a contribution to something much larger than our individual lives and projects.
0: Mm-hmm.
9: So I, I just find that hell. And, and when I listen to all of you, it, you're very inspirational. I just want to say that. And um, that's just the thought I have for my little closing comment.
2: That, that was beautiful, Diane. And um, I, what I'm going to say is just going to tag on to that, um, because I think that um, it, it is. In definitely in the mission of uh, attentive teaching, of uh, helping to uh, helping educators to maintain their own social emotional well being, to be able to uh, to keep doing what we do, Um, and to your point, Diane of um, you know cause and purpose of any life purpose, Um, and I think that once a teacher or an educator. I'll put in the broader um, label of an educator because certainly anybody in a school building I think is an educator. Um, uh, the, but I think all of us can think back on our own educations and um, find that the places of our indelible memories that did change how we really uh, looked at the world probably weren't during an actual math lesson, is like it wasn't actually. It was it was in the interaction that was going on, something small that that really that just like um, made you feel uncomfortable, but in the end, um, helped to kind of like write and center you and and give you a more of a north star in your own life's purpose. So uh, I I'm I'm fully about. Educators continuing to take care of ourselves, but also not forgetting that you don't know what few words are going to come out of your mouth tomorrow that are going to be impacting a student's future uh, for decades to come. And it's easy for us to feel down on ourselves with it, but just don't get up, don't give up being authentic.
4: That being said, I just uh, I I thought of something um, while we were talking. I was thinking about something that um, Rick, you said that you talked told the kids about the uh, slaughtering the, the, the Native Americans. And, um, and I thought about one of the things maybe could, as activists, um, if we could get teachers to do um, in this climate, I'm not sure, but I think that if we could get teachers to um, find a way to get across some things without saying those words, mm-hmm. like you were saying, Anita, I mean, I know that teaching second, third, and fourth graders, I mean, I obviously didn't say, and so we slaughtered the Native Americans, but what I did was (laughs) I, I taught them to appreciate the culture of the Native Americans so that they by the time they got to be high schoolers like th- they they could accept that but they in their hearts they loved the native americans we, i'd read them stories we'd play music we you know um we made things and um so they cared about them just as well as they cared about other cultures and we and that's how you kind of do it with little guys so um i i i just have a feeling that Maybe there is a way, and this is just starting to come up with how we we came to, to teach kids about SEL. Maybe there's a way that people can get together as groups and and, and, and and, um, rely on our words and the way we say things and what we do in, in those, you know, because we were talking, somebody mentioned before, yeah, you've got to do this when they're young. I totally, totally agree with that. And there must be a way that we can kind of instill that um, so that we can still be able to, you know, do what we do and feel good about ourselves as well. Cordelia?
6: Um, Yes, I was going to add that, you know, the, Little things that we do, including all of us being on here, are little acts of resistance. Like I tell people sometimes, me showing up to work some mornings is an act of resistance. And uh, just being in a space, uh, Perry knows where I work, he, he teachers right across town for me. But um, sometimes just being there, because if we take our voice out of the conversation, like uh, Diane was saying, they don't hear any other voices. If we take, our, you know, uh, Shirley Chisholm always said, I always remember this quote, that if, you know, they're not inviting you to the table, bring your own folding chair. That's how I feel about my life on a regular basis, that I'm just going to show up. I'm going to be in the place. I'm going to be in the conversation. You're going to hear my voice. You're going to see my face, which sometimes doesn't match the other faces in the room. And I'm not going to take myself out because I recognize that there's bias there. There's bias there. We all have bias. I have bias. But I'm going to make sure that I'm in the conversation. And so when what we're doing and like creating allyships and creating these kinds of spaces are little acts of resistance. We need bigger ones. I'm with you, Jacob. We need bigger plans. We need more organized ways. But I think that um, the, these are like the little starts to what we need to do and let other people know, make other people aware, sharing this on social media, making sure people you know understand that these voices are out there. They're, they're quietly out there for some reason. I guess you know, some of our more um, moderate friends are afraid of crazy, creating controversy in their communities. They're not speaking out as loudly against some of the louder minority voices. But uh, we, we have to kind of start somewhere. And so starting some of these kinds of conversations I think is where that is.
0: Well, that that explains why, uh, Cordelia, it's so wonderful. Why we put out so many clips last week, we, we are not going to be quiet. <laughs> so we we are we are putting that content out there. We've got our voices out there. And you folks have just been just a, a joy to have here. Uh, we're gonna take this ride together and we are going to push back and we are going to make it clear that we are going to take back teaching. That is why we are here. So I thank you all immensely for taking the time to talk with us, fight with us, and uh, please come back and share your thoughts because we're not done. We're not done. And we've got a lot of good students to teach, wonderful, wonderful work to do. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of this.
7: Thanks for having
2: me.